following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We're continuing our work in the Gospel of Luke, with chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, and that's on page 859 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. We've spent the last few weeks dealing with the remarkable character, John the Baptist. In our study of the Gospel of Luke, this is it. That's the end. John the Baptist, all done. This is the moment when all our attention will turn from the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord our attention will turn to the Lord himself. And we have this dramatic transition of that ministry from one ministry to the other that happens at the baptism of Jesus. Um, Now, as we look at this passage this morning, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, You may notice two things about this particular passage. Um, Number one, that it's really short. Kind of low on details. Um, And number two, that it is out of chronological order. Uh, And I I know now that you're going to notice those two things because I just pointed them out. So let's look at our passage together and we'll test test whether or not you were paying attention just now. So uh, Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Uh, This is kind of a continuation of where we were last week. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all of the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak that you would elevate yourself in our thoughts, that you would clearly speak to us from your word. That you would use this empty cup to pour out your spirit. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, did you notice that the two paragraphs I read are out of order? Now that I told you they're out of order, did you notice that? How about that? Jesus couldn't be baptized by John if John was already in prison, right? In our passage here, John's in prison, and then it mentions Jesus' baptism. Maybe you didn't notice that. Um, maybe you didn't notice that Luke leaves out a lot of details about the baptism of Jesus that some of the other gospel writers included in their accounts. So I want to get those things straightened out. 
not to say that Luke did this wrong. He didn't. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it this way. Um, but we have to remember what Luke's purpose is in writing his gospel. Right? And his purpose here in the passage is not, uh, though, though it isn't in chronological order, his purpose is to point to the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus and the beginning of the end of the public ministry of John. John the Baptist, that is. So if you um, look at some of the things that John the Baptist said in some of the other uh, gospel accounts, such as John 3, um, verse 28 says, uh, You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John's statement that his ministry was coming to an end. His prepare the way of the Lord ministry um, was finished. Uh, people were prepared and the Lord had come. And the, the decrease of John's ministry began with his imprisonment by Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, John confronted Herod for marrying his own brother's wife, among other things, um, who incidentally was also his niece. Um, so if you look at the Herod, Herod's family tree, it's, it's a wreath. Uh, it's, it's really messed up. This is a messed up family. Um, and this wasn't the only thing that John reproved him for. Um, and Herod, though he was um, as, as wicked as a ruler can get, he was also morbidly curious about John. So even after um, he imprisoned him, he still like, called him up to listen to him, you know, bring him up out of the dungeon so he could preach and tell him how awful he is. And then <laughs> that was fun. Back to your hole. You know? um, Mark records in his gospel uh, in Mark 6, uh, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. His brother was still alive, by the way. Um, and Herodias had a grudge against him uh, and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. I don't know a better definition of morbidly curious uh, than that. He wanted to hear what he had to say, didn't really understand it, knew that it probably was bad, but I don't have to listen to you anymore. Back in the hole. Um, and soon after this, John would be beheaded in prison. Um, but this wouldn't ha that wouldn't happen for another two years after the baptism of Jesus. Um, so Luke doesn't include any of those um, any of those details. Um, but that's the story. And we get that from the other gospel writers. I'm not just making that up. Um, so though they are out of chronological order, um, like I said, Luke's purpose was to move on from the ministry of John and focus solely on the ministry of Jesus, beginning at his baptism. So all of that other stuff is good information. But let's, let's look at Jesus. I think that's a good idea for us. 
Look at verse 21 of Luke 3. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Matthew records another great example of the humility of John the Baptist when Jesus came to him and asked to be baptized, uh, as recorded in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 15. It says, when G- uh, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Now, just imagine for a minute being in John's shoes or sandals, whatever, being John in this moment. I'm not going to guess what he had on his feet to go with his camel hair outfit. Um, I've had the privilege of baptizing a number of people um, in the name of Jesus. And it's always, always, always a humbling experience Uh, uh, to, to do it, to be asked to do it. It's a great honor. And it's very humbling. But that is nothing compared to being asked by Jesus to baptize Jesus. And that's, that's incredible. I can't, even, I can't even imagine. Well, doctrinally speaking, there is another item of great interest here. Um, and that is the presence and work of the Trinity at Jesus' baptism. Uh, and this is really important because uh, this is a dividing issue in the church. Uh, whether or not the Trinity is even real, um, uh, and not to assume anything, what I mean when I say the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Distinct yet three in one, right? One God in three persons. Um, so if you've ever uh, used your concordance or even did a Google search, you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible. And that's problematic for some because Bible word for Bible things, right? And there is no Bible word for that. Um, However, this Bible thing is in the Bible. There's no chapter and verse that uses the word Trinity. So uh, if you want to do that uh, just to try it, go ahead. But I'm telling you, uh, it's not there. But the concept, the teaching of the reality of the Trinity is all over the Bible. It begins at creation and it's perhaps never closer to the surface than in this event we're talking about this morning, the baptism of Jesus. So here you have the Father speaking from heaven, the Son in the water, and the Holy Spirit descending on the Son in bodily form like a dove. This is a beautiful picture of the God who is distinct, yet three in one. And there's a lot of discussion to be had about that, especially when it comes to talking to our Mormon friends or Jehovah's Witness friends or even some other Avon Christians who call themselves non-Trinitarian because the Bible doesn't use that word. There are lots of people that don't believe in the Trinity. Um, So there's a lot to talk about there, and that's not what we're here for today. So if you want to talk about that with me some more, I'd be happy to chat with you. Um, that's not my purpose for this morning. Just to know that the Trinity is real it's re- and it's represented in Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right. 
So all of that is well and good and interesting, maybe. Um, But whenever I read this passage or read about this event in the Gospels, I'm always left with the same question. Why was Jesus baptized at all? I mean, you think about it for a minute. Why was John baptizing people? He was baptizing them for repentance, right? To prepare their hearts for the Lord. So when they came to him, uh, either through his pre- preaching or just the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they're convicted of their sin and they go to John and say, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to follow the Lord. I want to be ready for Messiah. So he baptizes them and a change of life and, and they go on from there. Is that what Jesus needed? No, it's not. These people were turning away from sin in preparation for the coming of Messiah. And Jesus had no sin at all. He had no need to repent. He was perfectly sinless. He had no sin to turn away from. So some people say that Jesus was baptized to give us an example, right? Um, Jesus was baptized, and so we who would be his disciples identify with him, and we're baptized too. Uh, Well, no, that isn't. That isn't quite right. Um, Jesus was baptized, so we get baptized. Okay, that's not why he was baptized. And we don't get baptized because he was baptized either. Uh, So when a believer gets baptized, and this is important for us to understand, whether you've been baptized or not, um, whether you were baptized as a baby or as an adult or a teenager or somewhere in between, um, there are important things for us to understand about what baptism really is. So when a believer gets baptized, they are symbolically looking back on the completed work of Jesus on the cross. And they're looking back on his resurrection from the dead, embracing our spiritual death to sin and our sin and our sin nature gets buried symbolically in the water. The water doesn't represent Christ's blood. It represents dirt. Because we're buried in sin, right? And we are raised again symbolically to new life outside of the water. While there are certainly similarities between the believer's baptism and the baptism of Jesus, uh, such as through baptism we both identify with the church, Right, identify with the family of God that we are part of it. Um, we do that through baptism, and through baptism we are um, we are consecrating ourselves to the Father's plan for our lives, for, to His will. Um, and those are true, and that's what Jesus was doing. He is identifying with a ministry that that would become the church. Right, He is identifying. Uh, by with consecrating himself to the Father's plan. This is the inauguration of his public ministry. And we do that too. But Jesus' baptism is very, very different from ours. In fact, no one, no one has ever had a baptism like Jesus. And it's okay for it to be a unique thing, unique to Jesus, because his ministry was unique. He is unique. No one has ever had a baptism like Jesus. So first of all, what made his baptism different, as I already mentioned, Jesus is sinless. Right? People were coming to John, uh, repenting of their sin, wanting to turn away from it. 
when a believer is baptized, though we are symbolically dying to sin, and though through faith in Christ we have died to sin, we are still plagued by sin. John was right in saying that he ought to be baptized by Jesus and not the other way around. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. No one who had ever been baptized, nor anyone who has ever been baptized since, can rightly claim that they are Messiah. Only Jesus. Lots of people have tried, and they were wrong. When Jesus was baptized, as he, as he told John in Matthew 3.15, his purpose in getting baptized was to fulfill all righteousness. Now, this is a cryptic uh, expression, I think. This is difficult to understand. It's not to say that Jesus was not righteous before this moment or that somehow he was uh, different going in the water than he was coming out. He was unrighteous going in and righteous coming out. No, he was righteous before. This was an exercise in completing the observances that were required. Right? When it, when it says to fulfill all righteousness, it's not that there was anything lacking. This is an expression that means the, uh, the, this is a practice, an observance that is required in the faith. And so that's why we're doing that. Uh, it's also interesting that when Jesus says this is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness, he's not talking about him and John. Jesus is never alone. He's talking about himself, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It was necessary for them to fulfill all righteousness, to do everything that was required. And to be baptized has always symbolized a change, a new start. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was moving from the quiet obscurity of the carpenter shop in Nazareth to unbounded public life. His baptism was not for repentance, but it was for new direction. It was inaugurating a new direction that would lead him to the cross. When the Apostle John recorded the baptism of Jesus, he wrote it in this way in John chapter 1. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. Isaiah wrote about this event in Isaiah chapter 11, 700 years before this. In Isaiah 11:1, 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord 
and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I value life. That was a spider. <laughs> Sorry. So there is some debate about whether or not there was an actual dove. Uh, and whether or not um, it was only John and Jesus that saw the Holy Spirit. And I, my answer to this debate is it doesn't matter. Um, we have what we need to understand. Um, when, when the word says that the Spirit um, descended and remained on him, this was, this was the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. And his ministry was that of the atoning high priest that was coincidentally read for us from Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. That's Jesus' ministry to us even now. And finally, there's the voice from heaven, the Father saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And again, this is an echo from Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. Isaiah writes, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And also Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord said to me, you are, my beso- you are my son. Today I have begotten you. These are all prophecies of this event and this work of Jesus. Now to clarify, when the Holy Spirit came and remained on Jesus, we have to remember that before the day of Pentecost, which won't be for another three and a half years uh, from this event, the Holy Spirit did not indwell anyone. The Holy Spirit came, spoke, used people, empowered people to do things and left again. Okay? So this happening to Jesus and the Holy Spirit descending and remaining on him was new and unique. All right. So you can read about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes and there's tongues of fire and and people speaking in different languages and proclaiming the wonders of God. That's the beginning of something new, too, that the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus, indwells believers. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and does not leave. That doesn't mean that you glow in the dark and can walk on water now. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is present and active in the believer all the time. The other side of that coin, on the opposite side of that wonderful blessing, is that every time we choose to sin, we're dragging the Holy Spirit through our sin with us. And I don't think he likes it. When the Father speaks from heaven and says, "This is my, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased, This, again, was not news to Jesus. He knew who he was. Right? We remember when Jesus was 12 and in the temple. Didn't you know I should be, that I I would be about my father's business? One of the problems that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, with the religious 
leaders and, and all of those people is that he referred to God as his father. They didn't do that. Nobody did that. Nobody claimed God was their father. That was against the rules. So when Jesus did that, by saying God is his father, they said, you are elevating yourself to be equal with God, which, of course, we know he is. Jesus knew who he was, but the voice of the father from heaven served as a seal and a consecration to Jesus as the lamb of God who would indeed take away the sins of the world. It's only Jesus that could say the words of Isaiah 61 about himself. When it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to them, uh, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his public ministry of proclaiming good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives. And through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, he opened up the prison doors and set free those who were bound by sin. And in our baptism, in case you are still wondering, if we don't get baptized because Jesus get baptized, why do we get baptized? Um, that's a simpler answer. It's because he told us to. We look back on Jesus' completed work. And we identify with the rest of the church family as belonging to him, as those raised from the dead, dead to sin and alive to Christ, to be made like him in his death and raised again to new life through faith in him. Jesus said in Matthew 28, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Why do we get baptized? Because he said so. Simple. So that we will be given a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that way we may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account, Lord, this wonderful event. We thank you for its purpose to remind us who you are and what your ministry was and is even now. We pray, Father, again, that your spirit would continue to speak to us, that you might be blessed by your church. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, 
Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.